Good morning, church. Go ahead and remain standing for your boy. We're going to read God's word together. Go ahead and remain standing for me. Thank you, thank you. In unity, we want to read God's word together. Hey, we're going to continue into the last chapter of the book of James. And in today's passage, James is going to allude to prayer seven times, five verses, and in three situations. Seven times, five verses, three situations. In other words, that is the importance of prayer he's going to place within these passages. So as I read through this chapter and this passage, I'm going to stop, make some observations of the three situations. Seven times he will allude to prayer in this passage. Read with me. Verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. First situation. When you experience hardships of any kind, emotionally, spiritually, physically, James exhorts us to pray. That's simple. Let's move to the next part. Are any of you happy? Should, you should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Third situation. Second, when you are sick, pray. And don't just pray for yourself get others around you to pray for you. Specifically, in this context, church leadership, and have them bring anointing oil. So anointing oil is nothing special. There's no, quote, power in the oil. There's no magic. But what it does, it reminds us of God, the Holy Spirit's presence and power. So that when we anoint with oil and we pray, we are subconsciously in agreement saying, God, we are so dependent on your power for this to happen, for healing to happen in Jesus' name. Let's keep moving on because we're going to get into the last situation. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The third situation is to confess our sins. Any hidden sins any sins that we are harboring in the dark, allowing to fester and grow. Get around people and confess our sins to them, knowing that healing can come from that. The question I had in studying this passage a week ago was why all this prayer? Well, in the next verse, James will tell us why. Here's why. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human just as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Prayer has great power, and it produces something. Wonderful results. In other words, I'll say it this way, prayer changes things. The words that we say out of our mouth in addressing God, has the power to change external and internal realities in Jesus' name. And that's why James tells us to pray. And that'll be the message today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every visitor in this room. I thank you so much for the past week that people had. And we are grateful for your presence right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Apart from your presence, we would not learn anything that is of blessing or benefit to our souls. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would soften our hearts 
and that you would lead me to teach what you want me to teach. Nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat, church. Church, most of our lives happens to do with handling situations that are out of our hands. We are dealt cards that we would not choose for our lives otherwise. Some of that looks like hardships in our health, hardships at work, hardships in the closest of our relationship, and if we're being honest, hardships in supporting Nebraska football. But that's just me. <laughs> that's just me, near a decade of this. Sometimes, sometimes, when we react to hardships, we want to give in. Sometimes we feel bad for ourselves when we sulk. Sometimes we try to control the situation. Sometimes we do the God-honoring thing and we go to him in prayer. And we ask him to step into the hard places of our life and our hard moments. But if we're honest, it's easy after we see no results from our praying for us to back away and for us to not press in to prayer that much more. Our convictional prayers, James would tell us as a reminder, they do something, church. They produce wonderful results, whether we see them or we don't see them. They have power to change realities. Do we really believe the actual implications of what that means? Do we really believe that us and our earnest, convictional, heartfelt, faith-filled prayers can accomplish changing situations? Because if so, that would mean that through our prayers, the blind are healed, the sick are healed, and that through our prayers, we can heal and restore relationships. This matters because it potentially means that the return of our prodigal kids who have strayed away from Jesus the restoration of our intimacy between us and our spouse, joy returning to our life, salvation to loved ones, are a prayer or prayers away. That's what is at stake on whether we believe, like truly believe what James is saying about our praying. The enemy knows this. The enemy hates this. And the enemy hates when humans come to saving faith. The enemy hates when godly people flourish in Christ's likeness. And he knows that our prayers to God, they garner God's attention for him to look our way. They incline him to get involved in the matters that matter most to us, of which we're praying about. So he does everything everything to undermine our belief. Our belief that truly our consistent and persistent and continual prayer will yield wonderful results. Well, in today's passage, James is going to give us one reason as to why we would not believe that we yield such a power in prayer. And then he's going to give us two reasons as to why we don't see powerful results in our prayer. And we're going to spend the rest of the message looking at these reasons. And here's my burden and my prayer. It's the same that James had when he wrote this to the early church. It's that we would genuinely see and desire God's best for our life. And that includes what he bought for us at the cross. 
Because when we believe by faith that Jesus is Messiah, what we experience and we're gifted by was a priesthood that we can go to God directly. Not only that, he then adds on top of that that our prayers and petitions can affect generations now and to come. So as we get into the text, this is what we'll see first. We're going to see that our tendency is to believe that God will not use our prayers, will not use our prayers to move mountains. That statement doesn't actually surprise James, the writer here. It's the reason why he brings up the prophet Elijah as motivation for us to pray. He, he goes out of his way. Think about it. As he is penning this letter to the early church, he can stop right where it says, hey, here's this blood-bought promise that when you pray, it's powerful and it will yield wonderful results. But then he adds on top of it, by the way, look at Elijah. Look what he accomplished through his praying. He was human just like you. Look with us, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, with conviction, with faith, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Just to give a little bit of context the prophet Elijah was a hero in the eyes of the first century Christian Jewish person. Between 874 BC and 853 BC, Elijah was used to oppose an evil king of Israel called Ahab. And God brought revival to Israel through Elijah's efforts. We're introduced to him in 1 Kings 17, and we see him prophesying at first a drought it's a, it's a drought that was caused by judgment upon Israel because of their disobedience. And then, fast forward a chapter and a half, we see Elijah bending down, praying for rain. And here's what happens. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed, for his face, prayed with his face between his knees. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. James says that this hero of the faith that produced this was just like us. Our heartfelt, convictional, faith-filled prayers can produce this type of wonderful result. In other words, he's implying that our prayers have the power to change both unseen and seen realities. Church, sometimes we can put people on a moral pedestal and we think there are certain people in our lives in which God only answers those type of people with wonderful results. It's the type of person who prays three hours a day. It's the type of person who doesn't say a cuss word. I just want to remind us never to make men or women out to what they aren't. Here's what I mean. The Bible is littered with a perfect God using imperfect people to accomplish his will, specifically our prayers. Elijah was suicidal, but he was used by God to bring revival to Israel. King David was a murderer. 
but was used by God to write poetry, to play strings to King Saul, to soothe a spirit that was demonically oppressing him, to write the Psalms in which we read about when we feel like we are distant from God. That was King David, a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute, but God used her faith to advance his people into the promised land. And Peter, as we all know, he denied Christ three different times, said, I don't know Jesus. Then 50 days later at the day of Pentecost, when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he steps up and preaches a bold message to the Jews about how Jesus is Messiah. And that was a guy who was timid and turned away from even knowing him 50 days later. God uses imperfect people, and that includes our prayers. And it pleases God when we believe that our prayers are powerful and that they will produce, not can, they will produce wonderful results. God loves to do these things through our prayers. Why is that? It's because it screams reliance on him when we pray. It screams dependence on him when we pray. It screams surrender when we pray. And it shows our trust. It shows our faith in our creator that he has all power in his hands. When we pray, it's not as though, as other foreign religions would say, that we have power within us. No, 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 no. It's not by our might, not by our strength, but by the spirit that he will make things happen according to his will. When we pray for weather to change, by the way, last week, do you remember how we went out to baptisms? There's a little sprinkling. Yeah, one kid remembers. <laughs> there were people praying that we did not see that said, God, you said Elijah was just like me. And he prayed and rain didn't fall. Those people last week prayed while we were outside and rain did not come down heavy until we left. Happenstance? Chance? Or maybe the God of the Bible and what James wrote is true. See, when we pray for weather and circumstances like that, I know it seems silly, but when you're hosting something that you put so much effort into, fill in the blank of what that may mean, a birthday, whatever it may be, and you genuinely are like, God, I know that this would be amazing. It would serve you and bless people in these different varying ways. But if this rain, if this snow comes down, then it will ruin everything. And we pray and we ask God, please, please, not for our good, but for the blessing and benefit of others, God, would you hold off the rain, hold off the snow, we are simultaneously saying that, God, you have power over all weather patterns. When we go to God and we intercede on behalf of our unsaved loved one, we are simultaneously saying, God, you have power over the human heart. When we pray for those things, we are surrendering and acknowledging God's power in every matter. And here's the thing, church. God loves to partner with us in accomplishing his will. He loves to partner with us. He loves friendship with us. And church, there are many things that God stands ready to do if we would ask. Last November, my dad and family came to visit. And uh, they're here right now. They're this uh, 
conglomerate up front, the only brown people in the building. <laughs> We're praying for more ethnicity, Mom. Trying to, wonderful results, Lord. And uh, a lot of supernatural things happened during their visit last year in which it really led me to have a conversation with my dad. I took him out and I, I sat down with him and it was an ordinary conversation. Holy Spirit led me to say, hey, dad, would you, what, what did you make of all these freaky, weird things happening? And he said, yeah, it was but by the hand of God. And then I just felt led to say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? I mean, he says this about himself. Would you say that you're ready to follow him? And he said, give me a week. Give me a week. My dad then left um, back home the next day. And I went back to um, that night. I went back to my boy's room and I put, I, I put them to bed. Tell them stories. And I told them, hey, grandpa is considering following Jesus. And he's going to let me know a week from now my boys were so enthusiastic. It was like Christmas day for them because what I didn't share with you is that we were praying for my dad months prior before he visited. So they hear this and like, okay, great. So they're praying these such innocent faith-filled prayers, you know, kind of like the awe. There's no restrictions to God. If I'm to ask this, God, then surely you'll make it happen. They were praying with childlike faith. Some would say, so every day we're praying those things, and then it hits the week mark, and they ask me, Papa, did Grandpa Roy call back? And I said, no, but I don't feel like I should pressure him. I don't think I should call him. And then the next night comes up, Papa, did Grandpa Roy call? No. Well, why don't you call him? I don't want to pressure him. Maybe God the Holy Spirit's doing something and it's okay. We don't have to pressure him into this. And then we will get back to praying. So each and every night, that was the repetition. It was asking what was happening with my father. And then right after, it was them closing their hands together and saying, please, God, please, 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 please. These beautiful, innocent prayers on my dad's behalf to follow Jesus. So that happened through the spring of this year. Day after day, month after month, and I'm not kidding you, my kids shared the same enthusiasm as the first day until the day, by God's grace, that I called my dad and he gave his life to Jesus. So, <laughs> praise God for that. I bring this story up just because I know in my knower that God, our Father, heard our faithful prayers he heard the innocent, childlike faith that my sons approached each day with for months on end, each and every day, to the point where I truly do believe that God really softened my dad's heart to believe. Church, it's a promise from God's word that our prayers from a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. But my question is, what happened in the times past when we asked God with faithful prayers to do something and he didn't do it? That naturally came up in my mind as I was studying to teach this passage. And James actually alludes to that with a few more reasons here. 
one of the reasons that we'll jump into next of what hinders our prayers from being answered is that God won't answer prayers that lack faith. Look with me, verse 16. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. How often have we approached God with a request and we really don't believe he's going to do it? Come on now, church. No one will raise our hands. I get that. But it happens all too often in my praying life. Sure, God can and does answer those prayers because they're according to his will. They glorify him. It's a part of his beautiful, redemptive, providential plan. But I think this text and others like it in the Bible show us he's not excited to answer those types. He's not excited when we come up to him and say, God, will you please give me a job promotion? But I really don't think that I'm going to get it. And yet we approach him first like a Hail Mary just tossing up there just in case you want to. With no belief that he actually will do it. As a father, I am okay and I'm more likely to give my children something that won't harm them if they come up and they ask with enthusiasm. I am less likely, I do admit, when they would ask something of me and then say, yeah, but I doubt you'll do it. I'll be like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You doubt I'm going to do it. I'm less likely to do it. I think that God delights in the persistent prayers that have faith in them, that God not only can, because we all acknowledge that, but he will answer them. Matthew 7, Jesus' own words, take it in. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, man, this guy does not hold back, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is more likely, in other words, to answer our prayers when we go to him in faith. He loves to hear from us in this way. So church, keep on seeking Keep on asking, keep on knocking. And the promise is that the door will be open to us. Side note, real quick, there needs to be a little bit of nuance in this. We must always make room for God to answer our prayers how he wants to. Some of us have prayed for others that they would be healed. And God didn't answer that the way we thought. Because here's the thing. God can answer with healing medically, miraculously, or heavenly. Some of the people we have prayed for that we've loved within this church, that we asked a miracle for on their behalf, are now in the full presence of God. And that's not what we asked for. But here's the thing, church. We must allow God to be God. How he wants to answer our requests is totally up to him. When it comes to healing, 
That's what happens many times. Another side note, if someone ever asks us why our prayers are hindered, and they come up to us and say, what am I doing wrong? May we never say it was because they lacked faith. May, we, may that never come out of our mouths. Well-meaning people have used that line throughout centuries, and the enemy has taken it and thrown shame upon them, making them feel like junior varsity Christians. It is better, church, to allow the Holy Spirit to teach and to reveal to them those matters. And it's unwise to even think that because there are so many other varying factors that contribute to hindering the results of our prayer. For instance, sin. And that's exactly what the third situation is. Look back with me, verse 16. The third hindrance and the last one. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Unrepentant sin in our lives will hinder the results of our praying. Fact. That is a fact that we can put our bottom dollar on. James wasn't only the only one who thought this way. The Apostle Peter thought this way as well. Look with me, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. In the same way, you husbands, speaking to husbands here, must give honor to your wives Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you, as you should. Now here it is. So your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, when we're mistreating our brides and then trying to ask God for something else, essentially this is what God's doing. Earmuffs. Essentially what he is, he is doing is acknowledging our prayers and he's saying, I am glad that you want this promotion because it would be a blessing and benefit to your family. I'm glad you're asking for these things. But what are you doing with my daughter whom I gave you to cherish? You are mistreating her so severely that I do not care about this promotion that you're talking to me about. Here's the reality, church. God is not obligated to bless our disobedience. He's not. And neither are we as parents obligated to bless the disobedience of our children. You see, sin separates us relationally. Every time we sin and live in unrepentant sin, it separates us from the closeness that we have with God relationally. So when we ask favors of God, he's looking at us like, I get it. I'm so glad you're coming to me for all these other matters. But what are, go what are you going to do to get rid of this snare so you and I can be close again? Because God is looking out for our best interest. And what he wants most is surrender. He wants friendship with us. He wants closeness with us. He wants intimacy with us. Prayer at the end of the day is all about friendship with God. It's not about getting from God. It's about closeness with him. It's a conversation. And it's just like in a marriage when we remain distant, we will always remain distant from our spouse unless someone confesses sin and repents. 
And then there's reconciliation between the two. In our relationship with God, that comes when we turn away from sin. We confess it, we get it out as a block that's keeping us in distance between us and God, and then he will bless us as we humble ourselves. A couple years ago, we were praying at um, uh, Anchor Point. Glenn had preached a sermon on physical healing. He then said, come up here if you want physical healing. The band came up and they started playing. A man comes up to me and my friend in the congregation here. We were paired up and we, we received the man who was coming up. He came up to us while the band was playing at the end of the service. And he actually said, hey, I have such bitterness between me and my coworker. I, I can't even think straight. I, my, my, my thoughts, my emotions, I can't be fully present. This is severely damaging my relationship with others to be present and my relationship with God. I'm harboring bitterness towards my friend. And then me and my prayer partner, we said, okay, is it okay if we lay hands on you and, and pray? And he's like, yes. And then as we're laying hands on him to pray for his bitterness, he looks up and says, oh, and by the way, by the way, by the way, I actually came up here to get my wrist prayed for, and that kind of just overflowed out of my mouth. So can you pray for that too? And we were like, shh, say no more. We read the Bible, we got this. We totally know what's gonna happen right now. So we laid hands, we prayed, we asked if he would confess certain sins that have led to his bitterness. He did so willingly among us three. And then at the end, like we literally could feel his body temp, his emotions. God, the Holy Spirit was ministering to him in the moment. We then at the very end, just pray kind of, I won't say throw away, but we prayed probably two minutes of heaven down on his bitter heart that God would heal it. And then about 15 seconds that God would also connect that to a healing in his wrist in which he came up for. So we're done praying. Church service ends. I'm at the back of the gym where we used to be about 10 minutes after praying for him. And he comes up and he goes, look at this. And I was like, I'm lost. What am I looking at? I remember a bitter heart. What are we talking about here? He's like, remember, we actually prayed for this. And I was like, oh, that's right. God had healed that man's wrist because he healed his heart. Those two things in his circumstance were related. It blew my mind, but yet it was so biblical and pure. Church, God wants us to keep short accounts with others and with him, in part, so that our prayer life won't be hindered, so that God could accomplish his will through our prayers that much more. God does more and different things to protect our children heal our marriages, restore joy in our life, heal diseases and sickness, and save souls when we pray without unconfessed hidden sin and by faith. It is a blood-bought promise for the church. Jesus went to the cross not to multiply people who do much for him, but even more so who talk much with him. He desires relationship and friendship, especially when we talk to him about other people. Last verse here, 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy here, and he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, 
Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God will accomplish much through our prayers, church. Let's pray like it. Band, if you want to come up, we're going to close in prayer. Jesus, this is your church. These are your people. All the visitors here, God, we thank you for to hear this specific message. God, anything that was not of you, we pray that away in Jesus' name. But we're asking that you would place a heavy burden on our souls to truly believe that our praying does something. If you're in agreement, church, go ahead and say amen. 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 Amen.